out here in the perimeter, there are no stars. Out here, we is stoned, immaculate. Hello and welcome. This is the C86 Show. I'm David Eastall. As you know, we love a special guest. This week, it's going to be the turn of Faust, because very recently I spoke to the last surviving member of the band, or the person still holding the flame. It is the one and only Jean Harvey Perron, to find out more about life, love, poetry, and all that other groovy stuff. Anyway, the other exciting news is that, um, apart from some bits and pieces and a live concert that I think he's all they're doing recently, or have done, or doing. Um, they've also got a box set that's just come out, which is Faust, 1971 to 1974, um, eight CDs, seven LPs, and two singles, and lots of other stuff. Besides, it's going to be very exciting. And um, just to say that just throughout this conversation, there's once or twice, just once or twice, a few moments of kind of, I don't know, I suppose language and sort of understanding, you know, he was having to try and understand what I was saying because, frankly, um, yes, I probably mumbled as well. So, and, and just trying to get the facts. So, just enjoy it. Don't get too, you know, uptight about the whole experience. I enjoyed it and he loved it and um, we've become best friends. So, anyway, look, after several minutes of casual chat that gets edited out, we got down to that very exciting subject that was the early formative years. Anyway, you've got to start somewhere. From then on, it's um, conversational gold. Take it away. See, there are a few phases in uh, in one's life. First, you are a child, then you are sort of a teenager, then you are a young man, and then uh, life happens. So, in my in my childhood, I was influenced. I'm French, so I was influenced by all the French singer scene, which mm-hmm. uh, which means uh, the crappy stuff that you hear on the radio. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, the the top ten thing. But also, uh, at the time, the great French singers like Edith Piaf, Jacques Brel, Georges Brassens, and, and all those people. Mm-hmm. So this is my childhood, my young, my youth. You know. Later on, I got, uh, I got into trumpet and, and playing guitar, playing trumpet, and Miles Davis, um, Charlie Parker on, on sax, they were my, my idols. You know. Uh, Louis Armstrong also on the side because he had such a, a, a he, he was so joyful so in a way so I yeah. like that. And did you and did you have a musical family? Were your parents at all musical? Oh, oh yes, yes, yes. My my father played the violin, and my mother she would she was not a learned musician, but she would sing all the time. She was from Basque not from uh, Basque. From, from the Spanish border, right? Spanish border, the Basque people, and she would sing all the time. So actually, in my family, my my sister would play the clarinet, and so we were always playing music at home. Yes, yes. I, I was born and raised in a musical environment. Yes, yes. And how did they? I mean, it's always kind of curious because I did an interview with a woman called, I think her name is Monica Muir, and she was telling me about her family and and part of her childhood but especially her family who sort of you know had to sort of leave Poland and then live here and then live there and then flee this country how did your parents you know what was their kind of life had had they come from a sort of working class background or were they yeah ah you're talking about my my mama and my papa is that yes, correct that's yeah, right. yeah, yeah 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 well my my mother she was a hard-working woman she was um, and a very strong 
very strong woman. She didn't have any, well, she traveled a lot, that's for sure. She was, uh, it's funny you ask, hasn't got anything to do with music, but she was a dame de compagnie, which means, uh, you know, this uh, lady, uh, she was a dame de compagnie of a Spanish contessa, aristocratic Spanish woman. Yeah. And my mama would be her, you know, she would travel with her, make sure she got her shoes and stuff, you know, that keep right. her company. Keep her. So she did travel a lot. South America, Morocco, Africa, all over, all over the place. She did travel a lot. My father was rather. Uh, he was a a good-looking man, and he would charm all the ladies, which was sometimes a pain for my mother. You know? Yes, so that's the way it was. So it was, Yeah, we were a happy family. Yes, in class, definitely. Nice. That's very good. Because obviously, you know, during the sort of when when did you start sort of thinking music was going to be your kind of focus and, and sort yeah. of life's work, so to speak? Was there a kind of another moment that made you think, actually, yeah. this is possible? Mm -hmm. Yes, I understand your question. See, I have been always influenced by my mama's character. She was adventurous. She was. She would never comply with convention. Mm -hmm. So uh, I was raised with that feeling in my gene. I uh, I was a rebel, 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 mm -hmm. and uh, immediately when I heard about, uh, we had Radio Caroline. Do you remember this uh, pirate station? Or maybe you're maybe you're too young. I, I am know. slightly too young, but I do remember because I've you know sort of delved back into the 60s and hearing about John yes. Peel, John Peel yes. and the perfume garden that he would play on pirate radio. Yes. So Radio Caroline was, um, I lived in Cherbourg, which is right in front of, uh, of England. So we could, uh, we could pick up Radio Caroline, which was a pirate station. And there I got influenced by the Trogs, the Who, uh, you know, people like this, you know, who were, uh, they were very, for us, very exciting. We didn't understand uh, what they were saying. I didn't, but I felt they were, they were full of energy. And uh, uh, I always refused convention. So, and I left my hometown because they are very conservative in Normandy. It's very, it's a very rural area and they are very conservative. And, and it was too, it was, uh, I, I couldn't breathe. I, uh, artistically, I couldn't breathe. I, mm -hmm. I wanted to make my own song. I, as soon as I heard about Bob Dylan and things, I started to translate his song in, into French and I started to, to sing them. Yes. Did you did you pick up on that kind of whole 60s explosion that had happened, you know, with the sort of the birth of like the Beatles and the Stones? And then you had that psychedelic period of sort of 67 onwards with, you know, I suppose LSD. And you had, you know, you had Monterey Pop Festival. And then we had the sort of various kind of the Summer of Love kind of experience in 70, you know, 67 mm. and then Woodstock and this kind of amazing burst mm. of people like, you know, Jimi Hendrix, The Doors, the, you know, Jefferson Airplane, people like that. Were, were you sort of getting kind of excited with the idea of the kind of the cultural revolution at this mm. stage? Yeah, I must say, David, you have very interesting 
now I remember when you mentioned those dates. In, in 67, I, I had a scholarship and I was in the United States of America. I was a foreign exchange student mm -hmm. State in Schenectady. And of course there, 67, 68, I got confronted with Bob Dylan, with Timothy Leary, uh, you know, with, with all the beat generation. And this is probably, maybe, this is what triggers uh, the the urge I had to be different, you know, to do and say and play different things. So, uh, and when I came back to France, which is in uh, in June '68, I already was full of this uh, beatnik thinking, uh, revolutionary thing. Yes, and did you? So, did you get a translation of the Jack Kerouac book on the road? Or the yes, of course. Well, no, I read it in, in English. Yes, of oh, course. Oh, you read it in English? Oh, yeah, yeah. Well, yeah, I, I was in the States. And I, you so were, in, yes. Okay, yeah, because I, I, you know, I know that for a lot of people, there seems to always be people who did or people who didn't. And that, that seems to be people who got into the beat generation and sort of wanted mm -hmm. to be like Jack Kerouac. You know, they definitely had a different quality to other soft pop artists of the 60s mm -hmm. who just wanted to... Excuse me, I must interrupt. I never wanted to be like anyone else. So I even when I read Kerouac and, and when, when I read the other people, I was inspired by their saying, I never wanted to be like anybody. This is, a, uh, that's, it's, I don't like this idea and I hate people. And, no, I don't hate people. I, <laughs> I, I tell people when, when they tell me, oh, I would like to be like you. And I'd like to be, a, uh, I'd like to do things the way you do. I say, I say no, 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 don't, don't, don't be like, don't be like, Anybody, don't be like me, don't be like anybody. So I did not want to be like Jacques Kerouac. I was inspired by his philosophy. Yes, yes absolutely. So, no, that's, that's important. Well, it was, it was interesting. Years later, I met, um, I'll just have a quick moment here. I did meet, um, years later, I, I sort of did an interview with Caroline Cassidy, who was his um, wife and also... Okay. And I'd had various, and um, she told me a lot about them and said that, you know, Jack Kerouac and his friends, they were generally quite depressed and sad people. So you wouldn't want to be like them at all, really. Okay. Okay. <laughs> well, he lived with his mother and died an alcoholic at the age of 40. So it wasn't a great life, was it really? Oh, okay. Mm. So yes, it's best, it's best not to follow anyone just because they might be going over the cliff and going forever. So there you go. A absolutely, which is when you mentioned this, you know, Rudolf Zosna, who is one of the Faust people? Uh, he died because he he does of a delirium tremens, you know, alcohol, too much alcohol. Because he was a genius, he had too many things in his head, and he had to uh, subdue everything, you know, with with drugs and alcohol and things. So when you mentioned somebody dying at forty, it immediately reminds me of uh, Rudolf Sosna, who was. The genius of Faust, the, the guy of Faust. Yes. So as, as we sort of turn the decade, which often has a bit of an interesting experience, God knows what we're going to think of this decade. I mean, that's just off the, off the radar, really, isn't it? But the, the sort of the turn in the 70s, and obviously the 60s felt like there was a real 
you know, like we had the death of Jim Morrison, Jimi Hendrix, Janis Joplin, plus, you know, we had the Charles Manson murders. Obviously, I'm in England and I'm, mm. a, I'm only six, so it doesn't really have a big impact. But if you, for you, you're a, a, of an age where you, you know, you started to think, right, it's all going to start and then the 70s appear. How did that, how were you feeling and where were you starting to sort of direct your energy at this stage? <clears throat> Well, one thing that was very important, of course, we were aware of Jimi Hendrix and all of those people also on the bad side, all these uh, killing and everything. But uh, OK, we were aware of that. But um, there is one phenomenon that, you, uh, that I must tell you about is that in Germany, in France, in Europe, in, in this side of Europe, there is one feeling that was very important at the time is we didn't want we didn't want any more of anything coming from the States or from Great Britain. We didn't want this culture which was imposed on us, this pop culture, because it didn't feel, it, it didn't feel the what we needed to have to, 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 to listen to, to read about. We had our own problems in Europe and we didn't want to be fed by outside by, by US or uh, British influences in cul cultural. We didn't want any McDonald's and we, uh, we were not satisfied with blues or rock and roll. This was not what we were looking for. Yes. I am yeah. talking about the European youth. This is it. At the yeah. time. And was it, was there a sort of a change in Germany, especially at the early 70s, where the youth had started to question their own parents and their own sort of kind of mm. like, well, what, what did you do, you know, during, during, the, <clears throat> yeah. during the 30s and 40s? Was, yes, was they that... did, they did, but they did question uh, their, their parents. And I wish all generations in the world would question their parents about the atrocities they did at some point in history. Uh, you are a British citizen, is that correct? This is true. This yes. Is so slightly yeah. embarrassing. No, 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 no. It's cool. It's cool. It's cool. Um, I, I am sure that the youth of Great Britain has thought about the atrocities that the British Empire has done all over the fucking world. So like uh, the French youth is also thinking about all the atrocities which the French have done all over the world, Indochina, Algeria. So, I mean, this phenomenon of youth being confronted by what their parents, what the generation before has done, it's not new. It happened in Germany. It happened badly in Germany, but it happens, it happened and it still happened badly all over the place. And uh, yes, we were very concerned about that. And mm. we wanted to, uh, uh, maybe not very, some of us were very uh, express that in words, in thoughts, in books, and others like physicians express that into music. And this is what we did. I'm talking about we first. The first, the first moment, yes. On that point, before we go back, to, I think what's happening in the UK now is probably a lot of what happened. You know, it's been suppressed, the, the great empire and what we did and slavery and everything's by like just 
just don't talk about it. Let's just not talk. And when it's like, okay, that's right. <laughs> <laughs> so the, I think the conversation is happening and it's made a lot of people very uncomfortable, but it's mm -hmm. a process that eventually will settle down. But at the moment, it's a bit like it's been pushed and pushed and pushed. And then mm -hmm. it, and the conversation is happening. And that's that's where there's a kind of a, a problem. But it will pass because you know that older generation will pass and then it will be like okay we can we can look at these things right you know clearer so I, yeah you know, anyway we yes. cleared we cleared that bit up yes <laughs> so then how did you form the the how did you originally meet as, as a group and all right and form <clears throat> a band? yes well, this is an easy question for me because i've been asked this many times yes yeah, and um uh, and it's good, it's good. So basically we were two bunch of people. Um, there was this uh, trio of, um, which later was called the Nucleus, but we didn't have a name actually. So it was Gunter Wüstow, Rudolf Sosna and myself. And we would play music day and night. We would meet in this Toulouse Lautrec Institute. Which is a which was a club in uh, in, in Hamburg, where all the uh, not mainstream, all the experimental filmmakers, musicians, photographs, um, dancers, all all these underground cult culture young people, they, we would meet there, and Faust would make Faust didn't exist at the time yet. But we, the nucleus would make music for the young filmmakers, stuff like that. And one day, Uwe Nettelbeck appears on the scene. Uwe Nettelbeck is a, uh, was a film critic and uh, he was fed up with film critics and he wanted to do some, something new. Uh, and, and he wanted to do something new in the music, in the music direction. So, uh, I met him because he came to the Toulouse-Lautrec Institute and uh, eventually said, hey, could I have a demo tape? Because I would like to convince Polydor, which was the main, you know, you know Polydor maybe? Yes, absolutely. Yes, yes. yes. Um, so uh, I'm not sure, do I need this? Can you talk a little bit? Yes. Can you say? Uh, yeah, yeah, I'm here. Oh. Can you hear right. me? I, yeah, yes, of course I can hear. So I don't, I don't need this. So, um, Uwe, yeah, yeah, I don't need that. So, um, Uwe um, wanted to convince big industry to give the same production possibilities to non-mainstream bands. And uh, he saw us. He listened to us. Said, hey, you're good. So let's give me a demo tape, and I'll go to Polydor. He went. We gave him a, a demo tape. He went to Polydor, and they said, "Okay, but we need we need a drum." It's it was only three three people, you know, yes. doing crazy things, and which was good at the time. So, but we need a drum. And then I knew a drummer, Sapi, the big guy, the big man with the big nose. At Sapi and Sapi, okay, I'm gonna play drum with you, but I have I want to bring my friends. And uh, that was another drummer, Meifert and um, uh, and uh, uh, and Irmler who played keyboards. So these two bunch of people melt together to do to do another demo tape, 
which was given to Polidor and Polidor was very happy about this music. And, uh, you know, we got this deal about having a farm in the countryside with our own studio, with mm -hmm. our own tone engineer, and which was, we were very privileged. We didn't live a, a life of luxury, you know, we, uh, but we had a very good studio and a very good sound engineer. This was luxury in production means, yes. Well, yeah, and absolutely. We, uh, and that's Vimmel. Yes. And was it the case? I mean, at this stage, you were you were playing the bass. When did you when did you the bass when that did that become your instrument of choice or did yeah. it... <laughs> I play the guitar. I play uh, acoustic guitar, you know, and with nylon strings. That's that's what I used to do because I like I like to write songs. I was I've, I've been busking in the on the roads of Europe for one year, you know, using my acoustic guitar, my voice, uh, the translation of the Dylan songs, and all that on, on all this. I, I play trumpet, so so I actually play trumpet and acoustic guitar. And in the group, nobody wants nobody wants to play bass because you know girls don't look at the bass player, look at the solo guitar or the lead singer. So so I played the bass. I know about harmonies. I studied music, so you know it's uh, it's not too complicated to play the bass. Yeah, that's, that's that's why, and I like the bass also. Well, it's interesting because years later, well, not not years later, quite recently, but years you know down the line in the late seventies and early eighties, I've interviewed you know, Jar Wobble and also Barry yeah. Adamson. And I think Lemmy, I didn't interview Lemmy, but they were all people who just kind of went, well, this is quite vaguely, it's kind of, you know, I can pick this up quite quickly and then develop a sound that becomes quite an iconic sound. So I think um, huh? it seems to be some something, you know, with that little trait, you know, bass, yeah. bass, the bass player. So when you, when you started to form that first album and those first pieces, you know, why don't you eat carrots? And then yeah. you had, you know, a misfortune on the B side. I mean, how yeah. were you shaping and developing those ideas and songs? I mean, it's kind of because this is kind of very like I could imagine Polydor going, that's interesting, but um, quite different, really. We didn't expect hey. that. Uh, the thing is, David, we, um, we, we, from this contract with Polydor, we were very privileged to get a house. Uh, it was an old school, actually, to get an old school in, in the countryside, away from the city, no, no television, no radio, no newspaper, very seldom uh, visit. We were like in a monastery. So we lived there, and in the same place, we had the studio. And in this farm, in this old school, the sound engineer would come. And he would come not only for one day, but like, say, for two weeks uh, in, in a row. And he'd leave and he'd come back and things like that. So we were always making music. And uh, in, um, um, uh, investigating all, all possible rearms of music and all possible ways, because this is what we wanted to do. And we were privileged, I will use this word very often, we were privileged to have the opportunity to have the production means for this. We had a place to live. We didn't have to bother about paying the rent. We didn't have to bother about having some meals. We just, we just had to bother about in 
discovering music. And this is how it works. We would go in the studio, uh, jam, record, jam, record, jam, record, listen, cut, cut, edit, uh, overdubs, listen, play, 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 all the time, all the time for uh, two years. Yes. Did you, were you getting sort of some sort of grant or bursary or, or sort of funding to, to, you know, perform, you know, music or, you know, some sort of, because a lot of times, you know, governments will come along and think this is a good time to, you know, spend some money because culturally our country isn't that great at the moment. Did you have some, some scheme like that in, in Germany? Well, I, I am sure there, there, there was and there still is. Uh, now I know there are some schemes like that. But for Faust, no, it was just Polydor. It was Polydor, this label, this big, big uh, record company who would uh, finance the whole thing. It was the deal that Uwe Nettelbeck got out of them. Give, give, give these guys a house where they are left alone, where they don't have to worry about the rent and the food, give them a studio, give them a sound engineer, leave them one year in peace and quiet, and then they will, uh, they will produce something, something you'll be happy about. We produced the first album uh, called uh, Faust Clear, and we were very happy about it, but Polydor was not happy at all. It was way ahead of time. It was not uh, it was not for the time no it was not i guess they were thinking hmm, interesting but then i mean it's kind of interesting because there was a few bands in the 70s who mm. had the, a quite and i think possibly later on as well um this idea of living in a community there was a big yeah. sense of kind of leaving the city we're going to live in a community we're going to play music we're mm. going to jam a lot we'll smoke a lot and drink a lot yeah. all that kind of stuff and we'll really kind of want to discover the kind of essence of life you know they were really into this no yes <laughs> <laughs> i like your words david you're 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 talking for me yes <laughs> because yeah. also there is this thing we have a false narrative in this country as, as well so we we'd like to hark back to a time that never existed so we look at Albion, we look at the kind of rural countryside, this idea that it was all beautiful and pastoral and sort of unpolluted. And, and I think that in the early 70s, there were quite a few bands who developed these kind of um, lifestyles for five years. Of course, Guru Guru, uh, uh, Can in a way, and uh, Amandul, of course, you know, and uh, of course, many uh, went into the countryside, got us. Um, uh, you know, and started to make music, live together, free love, free education, you know, this, this kind of thing. We, uh, we were financed by a label, by a, by a record company. They yes. were not, I don't think they were financed by anybody at the beginning. You know. No, they were just, um, so then when you came to do the second album, how did the sort of the dynamics of the band change? Because every band often thinks, right, that's stage one. And also a bit like you hand in a bit of work and often you never want to hear it again or see it or read what you've just done. I just wondered how you then, <laughs> yeah, I know we all do that, don't we? 
decades later we can visit it again but at the time it's just too like i've just lived with it too much but then yeah so with when you started to plan the second album you know things change we've had lot you've had lots of conversations and lots of experiences with each other how did the the sort of right this is it guys we're back to the the follow-up album yeah okay see uh, maybe it's it's uh, it's it's easy to explain. We, uh, I, I will repeat, we were living in a farm and we were two years together and we recorded all the time, so especially in the first year, very much so. So uh, the album that we gave, the first one and the second one, they were all the material of those two albums were recorded in the same time. It's just for the first album, we didn't want to make any compromise. We just picked up as, as your words, you know, what is the essence of, of our music? You know, what is the essence of our life? And this was Faust Clear. And uh, for, for the second one, Faust, so far, uh, we got a bit of uh, pressure from the record company through our producer, Uwe Nettelbeck. You know, Uwe Nettelbeck had his ass between two chairs. You know, on one side the band, on the other one the the record company. He was obviously Uwe was always on our side, but he had to cope with the with the label with the record company too. You know? So, and they, I'm sure, they told him, "Hey, please tell the boys to do something more comestible that people can digest." in their ears. And so we picked some material that we've done in, in, these, in, in, in this time and we produced so far, but it's the same material. We, it's the same people and yes. it's the same period. So then is it the first tapes which are like almost the second album in, in a way that because that's kind of like nothing that... Not quite, not quite David, not quite. See, there is a phenomenon. Uh, see, uh, on one side, Polydor on the other side, Virgin. Okay, so we've got those two. Polydor uh, get us under contract, we give them clear. And they go, ooh, no, 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 we don't want this. So we give them so far. And they say, uh, okay, it's better, but no thanks. We don't, we don't want it either. And, and they kick us out. Then we go to Virgin, or Uber got a deal with Virgin. And we give them the Faust tapes and uh, I mean, I'm sure you have heard the Faust tapes. It's yes. it's it's not conventional, not conventional at all. So Virgin says first, yeah, 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 yes, but yeah, could we have something more digestible for the ears? And so we produce uh, Faust four. Same same phenomenon. First, no compromised Faust clear Faust tapes. And then, okay, you know, we'll try to make more un- understandable. So it's uh, Faust so far or Faust four. <laughs> Blimey, it is quite, quite amazing. And I mean, when you, when you now sort of hear so many people praise, I suppose, the, the Faust tapes, that mm-hmm. must feel that, you know, 50 years later, you must be amazed that, that it's had that impact. That it's had that everybody loves it. You know, we always hear Paul Morley going on about it, doesn't he? On every yeah. show, <laughs> it would influence people like David Bowie. You know, everybody yeah. likes to sort of talk about that album. So, does that? Yeah. Does I mean, 
when you recorded it at the time, were you thinking, this is great for us, we're really having a good time, but who knows about anything else? Uh, the, uh, honestly, uh, David, we, um, I, I will talk about myself because I cannot talk uh, for, for, the, for all the members of the group. There is one thing important in us is that we, there is a French guy, an Austrian guy, a guy from East Germany, a guy from way up North Germany, two guys from way down South Germany. So we, and we are all from, we were all from different social, cultural background, you know? So, uh, so we were very different from one another. So mm. I can only speak for myself. The others have other uh, intentions, other ideas. So I, I never reflected much about when you are 18, 18, 18 19, 20, you don't think much, you do things. You don't sort of sit down and say, oh, what am I going to do? And I'm going to do crazy music. You just do that. You, know, you just do it. Anyway, I did. I did so, and I didn't think much. And when I now, when I see that quite a few person and groups are interested, motivated, inspired, or admire some of them, what what we did, I say, uh, yes, I like what I did. Of course, I do. But uh, is it that good so, so that you admire it? Or uh, yes, it, absolutely, yeah. It, it's good for my ego, but I was not aware of this. This yeah. is what I'm trying to say. And what you also mentioned, because that's the other thing I've really noticed doing, doing this, this show, the dynamic of any band is, is it's like, from an outsider's point of view, especially when you're young, it looks like it's a harmonious experience. When you get a bit older and you have experience in different places, you think, you know, getting on with people is tricky. And then, you know, hearing stories of people in bands, it's like, wow, that's amazing. That comes with a health warning, really, doesn't it? And how, so how were you dealing with kind of like the conversation of the band, how, how you were sort of developing both individually and sort of musically and creatively? I just wondered how, because there's so much that's going on, plus you're probably in your early, early 20s or late teens. And, and yes, and, and having sort of gone from sort of the 60s into actually thinking, God, we've released, you know, three, three albums at this rate. And, and we've had a lot of it, life's experiences. I just wondered how things were for you on that point. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, see, I'm French, so I'm not sure if I understand, if I really understand what you are saying. I will just react and Please excuse me if I am not on what you are saying. I'm, I'm, I'm sorry. No, that's so, that's, um See, when we were in, I just talk, I, I just say what, what I think. When we were in Vimmer, uh, we also met a guy called Tony Conrad. And, and, we, uh, and we made uh, one record with him in Vimmer. We also met those guys called Slap Happy, which is uh, Anthony Moore, Peter Blackford, and I don't know if you if you know them, but it's they're worth it to be checked. And Tony, for sure, Tony Conrad. Um, so sorry, he, sorry. yes, I'm 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 sure you know him. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So um, so I, they influence me a lot. Tony, very much, very much. So now you 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 are to, and I was twenty something 
Yes. How did I react to all this? How did I communicate with the other guys? Let, let's not forget we were, I was young and I am French and I was in Germany. And so uh, it's not my language. Now I have no problem with German language and I have a bit of problem with English, but I'm doing okay. But at the time I was much younger and um, I could not communicate if that was your question, I could not quite communicate with, with the other uh, members of the band. But at the time, it didn't matter. You know, when children play together, they don't care if they speak German or Swedish or, or Swahili, you know, they just play together. And this is the kind of phenomenon that was happening with, with us, with me being in Faust in Germany. Yes, and so with Tony, that you mentioned, Tony yeah. Conrad. Conrad. Yeah. He had um, he'd sort of got he'd been brought up in in America and he'd been part of a kind of a yeah. the, quite a theatrical bohemian sort of lifestyle and was a member uh -huh. of the theatre of uh, Eternal Music with some incredible musicians. Yeah. Did, did did were you one of those really curious people who just wanted to find out more about different scenes and thinking? Yeah. What's yeah. that? What's this? Who's that person? I must go and check that out. I mean, did you have a curious mind? Yes. Oh, yes. 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 <laughs> I am extremely curious. Sometimes I am even, people think I am uh, obnoxious or, you know, because I'm curious. I'm curious. You know, I, uh, I'd, I'd like to I'd like to ask you many questions, but it's not I'm not supposed to do that. You <laughs> you are the one asking me questions. So yes, I know. Cool. But I, I am definitely curious. And Tony impressed me a lot. He was a he was a very fascinating person. And what he said, the way he looked, and what he played, of course, you know, that was like a bang bang, a slap in the face. You know wake up wake up yes and were you starting to respond to much that was going on outside the band or were the band insulated enough that you were just kind of having kind of an internal dialogue with yourself rather than going that far over the hedge and the farmhouse okay we had no communication with the outside, if, if that is the essence of your question. Yes. Um, I, am, I am very curious when things, uh, when things come, come to me. Uh, think when, I, when I meet a guy, let's say Tony Conrad, I am very curious about what he thinks, what he does, all this. But I was not curious at all at the time about what the other groups talking about Amandul, Noy, uh, Tangerine Dream, Kraftwerk. Uh, I heard the names, you know, you can't escape this. I heard the names. I, I heard about Stockhausen. I heard about Joy Division. But I heard just names. Mm -hmm. I was not, we were very much into our own music. We had so much in our head going on that we maybe didn't want to or didn't have the time or we were too... Uh, we were too busy with our music. It, it's not, we didn't, we, it was not a bad intention of saying, ah, oh, they're, they're all trapped. All, uh, it's just, we were very busy with our, our music. Uh, 
Yes, absolutely. I mean, you know, I, I mentioned David Bowie. I mean, during that, I mean, in the 60s, his work wasn't amazing. That's been nice. But then in the 70s, you know, he did, you know, different, you know, like an album a year. And he did lots of different genres as well and relocated because that, because then in, in 73, you record your album, which is um, Five Four, which is then you relocate to the Oxfordshire in England. So did yeah. that for a band, you know, going from your farm or, or, or play stable for the last three years, did that yeah. feel quite an interesting experience? I just wonder what that, that was like for the band. No, it, was, it should have been interesting. It should have been exciting. It was exciting, of course, the manner, uh, the, the place in itself, the studio, excellent studio, uh, the big dog bootleg. There was an Irish wolfhound, the dog of uh, Richard Branson. The, the new people, all that should have been exciting, but it was very short, David. It was only uh, two weeks, or, or even the Rolling Stone had a party at the manor. And I remember, I didn't have my glasses on, so I'm blind without my glasses. So, uh, and uh, what, uh, what's his name? Uh, what's his name? The guitar player of the Rolling Stones. Keith Richard. Yeah, he came into the, the studio and we were doing things. And I, I, I didn't see it was him, you know. And I said, you know, we're working. Please, you know, fuck off. You know, we're, we're working. So this guy, <laughs> this kind of thing. It should have been very exciting. It was very exciting, but understand, we were not in our Wimmel. It was not our home anymore. You know, we were in, in a recording studio and we were not used about this at all. Yes. So it, it, was, it was a hard time. For yeah, us. and did you, was it, was the dynamic tricky before that album between you or was it the kind of experience of going there and doing it because sometimes you know quite a few musicians said yeah that was an album that I when we went to record it things weren't very good and we knew that yeah. was probably going to be the end of the band mm -hmm. at that stage yeah 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 there was if that's if uh, I'm, I'm never I'm not see, that's the problem with British people, I'm never sure what they really mean. If, they, if you ask them, would you like a cup of tea? And they, they will answer, I think I'm all right. So <laughs> what am I supposed to pour some tea or, or just yeah. forget about the tea? So it's quite difficult. So I'm not sure what you're saying. Yeah, you but should my just answer, <laughs> my, my answer, <laughs> it's true, man. That's why you No, I know we're very apologetic and hopeless at sort of being clear. We we have to do, go on you know workshops to know, you know, you know it's a bit like I I'll tell you a very good one actually. This yeah, is a, go. a couple in a relationship where yeah. say the man won't take responsibility. So he'll say to his partner, "Do you fancy fish and chips?" as an example, okay. And yeah. she'll go, "Well, do you fancy fish and chips?" What he wants to say is, "I fancy fish and chips tonight." let's go and get fish and chips. But instead he asks her for permission. So then she makes a decision, but he wants them, but he can't ask for them. So that's yeah. roughly, you know, what the English can be like at times. We're very good yeah. at, you know, so you get the gist, don't you? We, we say, yeah. Yeah, I'm, I'm all right. And you thought, oh, I won't make one. They go, oh, you didn't make me a cup of tea. Like, like 10 minutes later and you go, well, you weren't sure. And you think, okay. So <laughs> you've got the English completely down to a T actually. And we often start sentences with the word, sorry. That's another classic. That's all right. Okay. So um, my answer is yes. 
with, within the group of foes, there were always tension. Uh, this tension grew and grew and grew and harder and harder and, and more clearer and clearer as years passed. Because, uh, first of all, I understand, we understand languages better. Uh, they, we can start communicating better in English. And then me, I learned some German. So we, we understand a bit more we can communicate, but uh, the tensions are there. As I said before, we were we are so different, David, and we were so different in Faust. You know, they're so different. So if you take people from the south of Germany, they are so different from people from the north. I mean, Scottish and 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 people from 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 um, I don't know from the south. You know, they they are very different. Yeah, absolutely. So they, there were tensions in the group, and these tensions were uh, augmented when we were in, in a difficult situation. In a difficult situation, you will see, you will see other aspect of people. When they are in difficulties, they will react uh, with their true self. So yes, we had difficulties. Two of us had to leave the band for, for a while. We reunited immediately afterward. Uh, they left, they didn't do the, the tour, uh, 70, uh, 1973 uh, UK tour. They didn't do it. We had to invite Peter Blackbird and uh, Uli Trepton so to, to finish, to, to do the tour. Uh, but eventually, so yes. Definitely, and now we are splitted. We don't communicate at all with one another. That's in clear words. You know, I can't see them anymore. I don't want to see them anymore. Fifty years, you know, with the same person. You yes, absolutely. You want to just say that's it. So then, yeah. you know, in that kind of you're in your mid twenties, you've had this incredible experience. It's all to, what happens to you next? What's the next phase of your life? Children. I, 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 uh, when, okay, we're 70, uh, 73. We get kicked out of Virgin, get kicked out of Virgin. We reunite and we go, uh, okay, we live together in the south of Germany for a while. Fun, fun, where the tensions are very low, we are very harmonious. We go to the Munich studio, Moroder's uh, Musicland studio. Mm -hmm. We record, uh, we do another 10, 12 days of recording, but joyful, joyful, very, very joyful. And, uh, and then Virgin stopped the money, no more money. So we have to go, we have to disappear. So, and that's, uh, that's May, 1974. Mm -hmm. So, and from then on, that's another phase of my life that, that begins is I, 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 will, I will have a family, I will have children, I, I will travel Europe again, I will work as a translator, I will work as, as this and that, I will build, I will be a set builder in, in the film industry doing all kinds of things. And the next step is 1990. Where, where we go and uh, where we do a, a concert together, which is a big flop. Uh, 
yeah, in a way good, but also a flop. And then the real new step is 1994, when we go to, uh, to the United States and do a US tour, Sapi and myself. Right. That, yeah, that, that's right, yeah, 1994, 1994. And, and it, what, this is, yes, sorry. Oh, sorry, I was gonna say, was that the first time you toured America, by the way? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, 1994. We started in Atlanta and then did the East Coast and then uh, flew over and our van was driving on from, from East to West, but we flew over and did uh, San Francisco and a couple of other gigs all the way up to uh, Seattle. So we did the, the West Coast too. Yeah. Yes. It was very interesting. <clears throat> Very interesting tour. I remember every bit of it very vividly. You know, we played in the in the desert in Death Valley. Uh, we played in the Great American Music Hall. We we played in really far out places. We played in the Knitting Factory in New York. Uh, good good venues, and it was very intense. We uh, we met people there on the same on the same bill as people like. AMM from the UK, maybe you know them. Um, um, Thurston Moore. Oh yeah, Sonic Youth. Sonic Youth, yes. Um, and, uh, oh God, my memory, man. Tony Conrad was there also. And, a, and, and, a, and a, Jim, Jim O'Rourke was there also, and a, and a couple of other people. I'm sorry. My... Yes, but did, did you suddenly find this kind of, because this is where the band and the kind of interest really starts to pick up on, on the kind of the world of kind of the, the German music scene from the sort of 70s. Yeah. So you suddenly yeah. had a new wave of, you know, of fans who weren't even born when you were making some of that music back then. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. <laughs> it's, it's true what, what you're saying, David. I noticed, uh, um, it's not the band, it was just Sapi and myself, just the two of us went to the state. And we were, we were lucky to get a guy called um, Stephen Ray Lobdell who played guitar like, like crazy. Uh, he would, he would uh, back us up. So it was just the two of us plus uh, Stephen, Ray Lopia. So, um, and I noticed there was a, uh, a great sympathy from the American audience towards the Faust music. They saw two people of Faust, you know, this little French guy, me, and this big Austrian giant. And uh, we were doing crazy things. I mean, I mean, we were playing with explosives and uh, and jackhammer and chainsaws, and we did, you know, destroying pianos and stuff. So, and uh, there was a great sympathy. And yeah, I I noticed it was different. Yeah. Yes. In, in in Germany, they didn't like us. No, but then, you know, but you, yes, we often, you, people often travel, you know, better in other countries because yeah. there's a sort of interest in an entry. But you recorded a no, new album, didn't you, in 94? Yeah, rien, rien. It's called rien, which means nothing. Yes, this is, if there are some, what do you call that, pipe pivot, pivot, yeah, yeah. turning points, turning points. Huh? Yeah. One would be the first album, Clear. That's bang, that's the beginning. And rien, 19, uh, uh, the first one was 1971. 
1990. It was made in 1994. I think it came out 1995 or something. But this is the beginning of something new, of a new Faust, of yeah. a new Faust. Yes. And did so, you? And was it the case that the other? Because there's you and Zappi who are the original members. So did you have that conversation to say we're going to be Faust? Did it mean the other members said we don't? We we're fine with that. How, did that? How, did that conversation question. happen? Good, good question. Yeah, we when we produced when when Rien was released, it was voted as the best album of the year uh, on a on a big German newspaper. Uh, I forgot the name. <laughs> oh, yeah. Sorry, but it's a big, big one, big one, yeah, big one. Uh, Die Zeit, Die Zeit, The Times, Die Zeit. Right. So we were voted the best album of the year. That created of a interest, interest, interest. And uh, my wife, Karina, and the wife of Ermle, Corina, she created for us a label called Klangbart. Uh, because they saw, uh -huh, Faust vibes are, you know, it's, uh, it's all bubbling and, and boiling. So let's organize a tour and let's make another album. So the album after Rien is called You Know Faust. You Know Us, You Know Faust, it's, which was produced by Karina and Corina. Uh, yes, that's two amazing. Wives. Yes, go ahead. If you, um, I mean, the process of that particular album is very different, isn't it? It, it has a, such um, a different quality and also there's a sort of did you get a bit shamanic in your older age? Did you sort of become a bit more interested in earth energy or kind of the natural world? Uh -huh. Okay, okay. Which which one are you talking about, David? Are you talking about Rien or you know Faust? You know Faust. You know Faust. Yes. It's in it's it's a very interesting uh, interview. I must say you you seem to put pin down so. Faust was recording here in my home, here, here, here. Not, not here in this room, but uh, two rooms uh, in my room. I live in a, in a big farm now. My wife uh, has a big farm. I live here in Chippos, uh, where the avant-garde festival takes place. But that's another story. I'm sorry. I'm trying to... <laughs> no. Okay, so you know Faust was uh, recorded here in a totally different manner. I didn't want a sound engineer who, I, I, did, I wanted to be like a, a family affair. Irmler came back, uh, Sapi was there, and I was there, of course. At the time, I'm, I'm sorry, I'll just, I'll just take this very- Oh, yeah, yeah, sure, no problem. Geliebte? Ich bin mittendrin in an interview, ma this guy, just, just, just. That's fine. Yes. Yeah. yeah, it was recorded here and it was very much a family affair, you see. Vustov was not interested. So it was only the three of us, plus friends. And this is another element. You are talking about Earth, uh, Earth thing. Uh, yes, I was in the country. Maybe, maybe there is some Earth element coming. We were away from the city, mm, yes. But also friendship. This is the first time that we 
in Faust that we get people from outside to play with us. And it started in the USA when we invited Stephen Ray Lobdell to play with us. And it's the first time some, somebody from outside come and play with Faust. So when, when I came, when we came back, uh, we, we said, Karina and Corina said, okay, let's create a label and let's record something. We recorded here with the friends. It was, we were all friends. The, the sound engineer was a friend of, of ours. He was, he, was a, he was excellent because we never heard him, saw him. He would just come into the, the rehearsal room, put a few mics and disappear. And we would, uh, we would play and play and play. And uh, I say, hey, Lutz, was it recorded? So, yes, of course, it's, everything was recorded. So uh, maybe not earth, but friend, friendship, friendship was a new feeling. Friendship, true friendship, friendship. But you, you are, you are digging in another di direction, I think. <laughs> well, it's also well. It's interesting, isn't it? Because you know, having you know experiences, sometimes you just realise that it can be life can be easier when there's the dynamics are just a lot clearer, and sometimes mm -hmm. there isn't such a baggage in relationships and friendships or connections. Mm -hmm. And mm -hmm. you know, with that period of your life you're starting to bring out a lot of albums, but they, they've got a much more stripped down quality in the sense of like, there isn't the massive amount of, you know, musicians and producers and engineers. It's much more like yourself being able to just, I suppose, enjoy the experience of what you're doing and finding some sort of holistic kind of center with your music and your art. So I just yeah. wondered if, if you were feeling like, yeah, yeah I'm, this is, this is kind of, I'm creating something that doesn't feel like it's destroying me at the same time. Mm -hmm. you, sh you should be a, you should be a, a therapeut. You should be a thera therapeut, th therapist. therapist. <laughs> therapist. Yeah. You seem to uh, understand what's going on in people's mind. But anyway, <laughs> yes, you are very true. When we recorded, uh, you know, Faust, it was, there was a lot of harmony. And as, as you very good, say, very well say, is that we produce something without having the feeling we are doing something that is, it's not taking something away from us. We are giving it. We are, we are very ready to give it. It was good. It was good vibes. Good yes. vibes. And again, during this period, you know, you, you, you keep all the time getting more critical, you know, success and more critical awareness. So you must suddenly feel that the importance of the band is growing. Did that feel like a responsibility of what you were doing with Faust, yeah. you know, the 90s or Faust in the O years? Yes. Uh, uh, also a, a good, uh, good word, responsibility. Responsibility toward the audience is uh, to, towards the people that are it's feeling responsible of the impact of what you are doing. At the beginning, we were doing music and I won't speak for the group. I will speak for myself. I didn't give a damn if the people liked it, if, we, if, we, if it would do them good or bad. I didn't think about this. I just made our music. I was part of our music, full stop. I didn't think. Now, as years passed, now from 
from 1970 to 1990, uh, uh, that's 20 years uh, to 1995, actually, that's 25 years. So I changed, obviously. And this feeling of responsibility, I am now, I'm talking in the past, I was now aware of this. We are not allowed to produce bullshit. Even if we, if we do um, uh, avant-garde music, uh, experimental stuff, we must make sure that we are 100% behind it, that we are not, you know, we're not selling bubbles. You know, we, we, it's, uh, it's true what it's, 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 uh, it's uh, authentic, authentic. It's, it's authentic. Yeah. These were new feelings for me. Also, I, you know, when we started touring, we didn't give, we didn't rehearse, we didn't give a shit about, about nothing, about anything. We just went on stage. Some of us did, didn't go on stage. Uh, we, we used to play pinballs on stage or sleep in a sofa on stage. You know, we'd, uh, it was, maybe people enjoyed it. Maybe it was kind of a theater, but my approach to this changed a bit. I, I wanted to, uh, to move people. I wanted to, yeah, to have an impact on people. And, and this was consciously. Yes, absolutely. And then, you know, just fast forward into when you did Fresh Air. I mean, this is again another one which has got a lot of collaboration. Did that yeah. feel kind of necessary or did that just feel like a natural progression of what you were at that That's stage? Okay. Natural, natural. See, uh, there is another element now. There is a new generation coming. And I'm talking about uh, our tour manager, which is, she is my daughter. So Jeanne-Marie was in the womb. And when, um, when we did the, the when we toured 94, she was born 90. You know? So she was a baby and she toured with us. She grew up. With, uh, with the music of Faust. Later on, she grew up with the avant-garde festival. So, and then she became our tour manager and she became a very important part in, in my music. Not, not, not directly, but because the way she was, she was now 18, 19. So I could see in her what I felt at the time. And this mm -hmm. is, uh, it has a huge impact, even if you, uh, I was ready to admit it, but nobody asked me. So I didn't talk about it, but it did have a huge impact on me to have these younger people around me. This, um, is it fresh blood or is it, I was attentive at what they were talking about. I realized they were having this, basically the same problems we had when we were 18, but on another level, you know, we had problem with, uh, authority with, uh, uh, with our past, with, uh, with fascism and, and all this. And they had problem with uh, uh, climate, climate with, the, with the internet invading our, our soul, invading our brain, uh, this kind of problem with, with uh, 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 the man treating women like shit, you know, the feminism and all this, you know, new, new respect. But they had the same intense problems as we had. So it, it gives me another strength, 
And of course, it was natural to welcome all those new people, all those new young people that wanted to be part of what we were doing. And that's fresh air. Yes. Yeah, fresh air, fresh air, fresh air in our heart, fresh air in our brain. This is part of the song, yes. Was it also the case that you realized that you were in a position that you could, you had a responsibility or you could take that responsibility and just think, I need to act with a certain amount of wisdom or I could act with a little bit mm -hmm. of grace or I could ha act with a bit of humanity or humility mm -hmm. or something. Did that... Humility, yes, great. Yeah, yeah. And, and also, David, I, I must sometimes interrupt you because if I don't, I will forget what, what I want to say. So uh, another thing happened is that people, uh, promoters would ask us to do uh, workshops. So when you ask... This is when I, this is where I learned the most by, by trying to, to, uh, to teach people. This is where I learned a lot. I learned a lot. I realized uh, you have 10, 20 people in front of you. They are, you know, they are very interested about what you are, what you are going to say. So make sure you uh, you don't you you talk right you, know, you do right so uh, yes i have i have forgotten your question i'm sorry well no it's it's to do with i think i think as we just get older often <laughs> we we look back at our lives not everyone but sometimes you think i've kind of <laughs> wish I'd done that i wish i'd done that you can't change the past but you kind of you sort of realize bits that you could have done a bit better and you can't tell anybody what to do but sometimes you feel like you would like to somehow you know just sort of give them a little mm -hmm. bit of kind of mm -hmm. yeah just a little hint without being yeah. a boring person that's mm -hmm. and I, I could imagine you know and I saw that with people like David Bowie you know just yeah. suddenly taking that bit more responsibility of you know did you meet him did you get to meet him no I didn't ever get to meet David uh, Bowie. did you get to meet David Bowie no 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 no, no, no. Anyway. I, I wish I wish I had. He, he was. Uh, he seemed to be a very um, fantastic guy. Very human. Very. Uh, you you used the uh, humility. He seemed to be a very normal guy. I mean, a superstar, of course, a super, but also very, very normal, very approachable, very. No. Yes, well, quite a family man. So then, you know, as you've got this box set that's come out with all the, the early years, does mm. this, is this something that you deal with with other members of the band? Or is this something, how does this kind of come <laughs> together? Because of a guy called Gunter Butskis. He is the head of Bureau B. And he has produced a few albums with us. I'm talking about uh, just us, uh, talking about uh, something dirty and fresh air and um, disconnected. So the, a, a few production were done with Bureau B, Gunter Buskis. So he seems to like very much what Faust has done and is doing. So he had to say, hey, he, he talks to me. He said, hey, uh, look, 50 years, why don't we, do you have tapes somewhere? Why don't we digitalize them and, and try to do something? You are getting 50, you know, I'm 50 years old, Faust, Faust is getting 50. Let's, let's do something. 
So, but I'd, already I didn't talk with any of the Faust people. So all the communication happened through Gunter Buskis. When I wanted to say something to the group, I would say, Gunter, here is what I think. You know, if, if you care, tell the others and the others would respond or not. Yes. And so <laughs> so there, was, there was a lot of communication at the beginning and intense communication between Gunter Buskis and myself. Uh, and as things developed, uh, it took about us, more than nine months anyway it was it was it took more time than create a baby to have these ready so um, as time passes by we ha there was more communication among the groups but not among the groups among the group via Gunter Buskis. yes yeah. I've, I've got I've got I've got a picture of this at the moment yeah. but it's the perfect project for lockdown though isn't it let's face it you wouldn't do this with it, if it wasn't for lockdown, because you would think, I could do something a lot more interesting than trying to communicate with people I don't want to talk to. Well, uh, again, I didn't understand your question. Please repeat, I would like to understand. Okay, I said, this is a perfect project for your lockdown when there isn't a lot of other things to do, uh, because uh. you probably would find you'd have lost the will to live if you were quite busy dealing with these kind of difficult communication channels mm -hmm. whereas you're mm -hmm. thinking well there's not much else on I'm locked down there's no, I might as well get this project out of the way and okay. then it's done okay okay yes the lockdown was was a uh, the garden was all good we have a huge garden it was all good the house was all clean I did many things that I uh, I had put on the side yes. and this project I had all the time in the world uh, to, um, to, to work with Gunter Buskis. But mind you, David, I live here in Shippos in a sort of a microcosmos. In a, it's, it's a very large farm and we have quite a bit of, uh, of ground. So I am, I am happy. I am, I've, I've got a dog, I've got things to do. I've got a workshop. I like to work wood, do things. Um, so. Uh, lockdown was not a big deal for me. Yes. It, was, it was almost normal, but it was good to have something to do like the box set. I, it was, it was a, and how important is your connection and relationship with Zappi then? Zero. Zero. Nothing. I, I have no communication with Zappi. In the past, are you talking about the past or now? Well, uh, yeah, because he's he's played on virtually uh, all the albums, hasn't he? That that's true. On. Yes, yes, yes. Right. That's that's that is going. Sapi is uh, the one that has um, played on all the albums. Yes. Right. It's a fact, and and it's true. Yes. But then, did that was that a kind of relationship up to seventeen, and then it's not a relationship after seventeen? Mm. It it was a relationship that was put to Vizak uh, Mandas as is uh, this relationship, we this relationship had a hard time between Sapi and me, had a hard time when we got on tour because we are very different. I am, uh, I am small, he is tall. I am 
very energetic and he is rather slow. Uh, I like playing with friends. He doesn't like that. So there was, there were many differences. And as we kept on doing gigs and gigs and gigs, because I like being on stage and uh, the, the, the further apart we, we went. Well, actually this relationship with Sapi, this is the first time I talk so openly about this, David. So I don't, I don't know how you're going to use this, but this relationship was broken for three, four, five years. We just, I just kept on doing gigs with him. The feelings were not right. Maybe mm -hmm. on stage, when he plays the drum and I play the bass, of course we are one. And of course we, we've been playing 50 years. So of course we, we are one, but uh, humanly as uh, no, no. Yes. So does that mean that in 2022, just around the corner, you've got more projects, another project and, and sort of material for a new album? No, for a new album, definitely not. I will, that would be a lie. Yeah. I, I, I would love to, but I, I realize uh, consciously clear in my head, no, I do not have the material to produce a new album. I have the desire to produce something new, but I, I cannot. Yeah, there is no, it's, uh, it's, see, when you've been with somebody 50 years and there is a break, uh, it's certainly shake your life. And so you, it will take a while. So what I'm doing now is I, I am going on tour in a week. I'm going to leave in a week for a Europe tour where I will present Faust IV live on stage with, mm -hmm. uh, with, with other musicians. And this is something that I wanted to do all, all the time, years, years for years. I have presented already Faust Clear live on stage. And I was very proud of that. I want to do the first four, and and then I guess I'll uh, maybe I'll I'll write a book. Someday. Right, I, but I, do you? But with yeah. first four being performed, do you feel that there might be a new dynamic with the people you're playing with that could sort of create another kind of you know shot? Yeah, yeah, I hope so. Yes, I hope so. Uh, You're very optimistic. It's, it's good. It's, I am also optimistic. Yes, I hope. No, no, no. I want to do Fast Forward because I wanted to. And once you have launched, once I have launched a project, I, uh, I go until this project is done. See, so now it has to be done. I'll do it. I'll do it. Um, I am very happy that I meet people like Amory Cambusin. He's been playing with this new Faust for 25 years. Uh, I'm going to play again with uh, Pierre, Pierre Chevalier, uh, 10 years with him, and, and, and uh, classical, classically trained people on double bass, on cello, and on violin. And Yumi Hara will play the piano also. So it's a totally different bunch. And yeah. this is, of course, this is going to pump energy into me. And, but the result of it will be, it will give me energy to go on tour 2022 with a different Faust, with uh, Amory and Pierre and, and these people. But uh, doing a new production on my own, no, that would not be interesting. I, I haven't material enough in my head. 
Yes, I know. But it sounds I'm I'm optimistic, you know. I've got I've got great optimism. I think you've got a new rhythm section that you're gonna lock with and you're gonna yeah, sort of... she's eighteen years old, man. <laughs> Our new drummer is eight she's a lady, she's a young woman, and she's eighteen years old. Audrey de Chevres. Isn't that crazy? All the people I'm going to travel with, they could be my children or my grandchildren. It's it's I I love it. I like that very much you know she was born in 2003 that's quite amazing isn't it yeah yeah <laughs> yeah <laughs> did you have to do that on paper David? i just had to do I that on the calculator that. i thought god when <laughs> 2003 she was born and now she's oh, only come on. yeah yes she was. yeah so when you got in the sort of recording no in the rehearsals and you were playing with her you know with mm-hmm. anybody it could be anybody did that feel like God, how are we going to get this kind of, the vibe, the vibe back? Yeah. I cannot answer that because I have not met her yet. Right. I am, we are, I am going to leave on Saturday morning, go to Brussels, where the band, the new band, this new band is going to meet for the first time. And then we'll have five days to get the Faust for life on stage together. And the thing is, we don't want to do a one-to-one copy. We want to do an interpretation. This is the point. You know, I, uh, as, as I said before, I don't want to be like anybody. And I don't want to play the Faust Four like it was. Say, I want to be inspired by the Faust Four, but I want to present something new. And it's, it will happen because I never met Audrey before. She's a woman, she's young. Uh, I, I, never played with classically trained people, I will meet them and will do something and it will yes. happen. And is it the case that they've, they've been given the music to work on and to sort of... Yes, yes. To, to know what to expect? Yes, they've been, they've been giving, they've, they have been given the, the Faust Four, MP3 of the, of the Faust Four first, so they know what the original is. And then they've been giving scores that I wrote uh, two years ago together with Yumi Hara. Um, I went to London and we spent, I think, five, six days together. And we, I wrote uh, with her uh, scores. And they have those scores. Now, this material, the original plus the score, is the basis where we are going to start with. And then we are trying very quickly to forget about all this and do something different, you know, to go beyond Faust Four. Fantastic. That's that's the goal, anyway. I'm sure you'll you'll get there. That'll be fine. So yeah. anyway, so you you're going to be bringing this to the UK in 2022? N- n- no, sir. No, we are going to bring it on the 15th of November in November. Union Chapel. Union, right, 15th. My God, that's so soon. Wow. It's right. very soon, yes. Very soon, yeah. It's gonna be <laughs> it's gonna be amazing, isn't it? God. I hope so. And and for this, the, the it's it's I can't tell you because it's uh, I think it's somewhere in the internet. I have invited uh, my good old friend like Jeff Lee from Henrico, Chris Cutler from Henrico to play with us on stage. And uh, Yumi Hara will be there. Anthony Moore from Slap Happy, Peter Blackford, and uh, uh, who else? Uh, Chloe Harrington will be there. 
So, you know, it's going to be quite something. So either it's going to be fantastic or it's going to be a huge mess. And <laughs> even a huge mess is, is great. To be honest, we, we, you know, with the last 18 months, we're going to just enjoy it, aren't we? It's going to be amazing. But look, yes. it's great. Well, thank you ever so okay. much for this. This has been incredible. And um, yes, all the best. It sounds, it's been one amazing journey, hasn't it? And it's still thank coming. You. Thank you. Thank you, David. Very interesting interview. Um, uh, I appreciate that. Thank you, man. Okay. I hope to meet you someday. Yes, well, hopefully. Take care. See you later. Bye-bye now. Bye-bye. I'm hitting the end. There you go. That was me in conversation with the one and only Jean Harvey Perron. I probably mispronounced it, but then that's life. Uh, this has been David Eastall, The C86 Show. If you want to contact me, you can on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, just do C86 Show. It's true. Keep it positive and nice, because frankly, I'm not interested. And also, all these interviews have been archived. Lucky you. So you can find those on Spotify, iTunes, and Podbean. There you go. Have a great week. Stay safe. Enjoy.